Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a show about technology and contemplating the finer details and their practical application. By exploring real-world trade-offs, we dive into how great ideas can be transformed into products and services that impact our lives. Pragmatic is entirely supported by you, our listeners. If you'd like to support us and keep the show ad-free, you can by becoming a premium supporter. Premium support is available via Patreon and through the Apple Podcasts channel subscription. Premium supporters have access to early release, high-quality versions of episodes, as well as bonus material from all of our shows not available anywhere else. Just visit engineer.network slash pragmatic to learn how you can help this show to continue to be made. Thank you. Before we begin this episode, to celebrate the upcoming 50th episode of Causality, we're reopening the 10 store with shirts and smartphone cases for a limited time, including an all-new Pragmatic t-shirt too. All supporters get 10% off Cotton Bureau items from the store, and there's a very special offer for long-term supporters that would like a free t-shirt. Visit engineer.network slash celebrate for more details and keep an eye on Patreon posts for more. I'm your host, John Chigi, and today I'm joined once again by Vic Hudson. How's it going, Vic? I'm doing well, John. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing fine, mate. I'm doing fine. Welcome to 2023. It's great to be here. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Well, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk a bit about um, the evolution of the Apple Watch in this episode. But before we get to that topic, there are a couple of things. Normally, I want to stay focused on one topic in pragmatic because that's just you know part of the thing. But the stuff going on in the land of Twitter that I feel like I just want to just quickly pick your brains about. I know that there's been a lot said and done recently, but have you come across the? Uh, shall we say, unceremonious termination of uh, some of the third-party clients on Twitter. I have. So, has this affected... I mean, first of all, were you still using Twitter? Um, well, as much as I ever did. <laughs> well... I'm not as attentive to the social medias as I should be. Oh, well, no, never say that. Uh, in terms of, like, should or could, maybe, could be. But, I mean, honestly, uh, I was still using TweetBot both on my desktop mm-hmm. and on my mobile devices, my iPad, iPhone, you know, all that sort of stuff. Right. And I, you know, because people would DM me, people would uh, at mention me and I, you know, get the notification and I go and I respond. And now I, I accepted the fact that you don't get real-time notifications uh, using the using TweetBot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a five-minute delay before you get them. That's fine. I didn't care. It's not about real-time comms. If people want to real-time communicate with me, I would have given them my iMessage um, or my phone number. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I went to open up just to check for that. And um, lo and behold, it said, we cannot authenticate. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that is uh, most perplexing. How is it that you cannot? How is it that you cannot authenticate, sir? And so I tried my engineered network Twitter account and it gave the same error. And I'm like, this is um, equally perplexing, doubly so perhaps. Anyway, so... Knowing that the chief person in charge now is um, a ruthless businessman, yeah. After about oh. approximately, oh, I'd say maybe sixty seconds of being perplexed, I was no longer perplexed, and I'm like, well, it was fun while it lasted, and I in air quotes fun, but by that I mean like that was it. So I knew it was inevitable; it was going to happen, and and this was 
building for years, and they threatened in the past when they tweaked the APIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was a, if I remember correctly, that was one of the things that triggered off um, the whole app.net thing. That is correct. So I kind of knew that this was. However, you know, it should be pointed out that like they they really disabled a lot of functionality for the APIs and it's really been lagging behind, you know, the the official app and features and stuff for a long time. But yeah. most of that stuff that the people using third-party apps didn't want anyway. But uh, the, these guys, Twitterific and TweetBot and all the big players, they were still within the agreement because, like, nobody ever said anything about completely terminating the API. They just put some limits on it. You know, you can only have so many tokens and so many subscribers and blah, 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 blah. And to my knowledge, everybody was still playing within those, those, those terms. I think that uh, when this initially happened, um, there was no word from Twitter for days. And there was not for days until there was one little tweet that said, we're going to start enforcing our blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that, of course, that tweet, um, I um, yeah. It, it's I, I think it's pretty clearly BS that you know by enforcing those rules they weren't breaking those rules. So that's you know just just BS. But yeah, exactly. I mean, should we be grateful that they posted anything because it really makes no difference in the end? You don't tell people after the fact. Oh, I'm sorry, I just shot you in the head. Um, like a week later. Yeah, sorry about that. Right. I'm just going to, you know, like shoot you. Oh, sorry. I wasn't supposed to give you a warning. <laughs> Maybe that would have been a better right. thing to do. But in any case, um, all this does to me is reiterate um, the the right, uh, the change of course, the change of direction that Tapbots, for example, have been working on Ivory for uh, Mastodon. Mm-hmm. And whilst I tried desperately several times to get into their beta program, um I have was unsuccessful, I think mainly because of my location in the world, because the servers, um, when they posted, um, the propagation delay was such that mm-hmm. you couldn't you couldn't get it quickly enough. And um, by the time you could get through, it was full. Yes. So I mean, Paul um, Haddad sent a uh, screenshot, well, a a uh, screen recording just as an animated GIF. Mm-hmm. And he said, so this just happened. And he was releasing like a thousand spots. Yeah. And then you basically saw a little timer start. You see that? And it ran for something like 11 seconds and then they were all gone. Thousand slots, 11 seconds. Yep. So to say that there is a pent-up demand for a professionally created, crafted, whatever you want to call it, app, from experienced developers that have worked with this sort of a system, mm-hmm. um, I think that there is uh, that's an understatement. There is an enormous demand for it, and I mean, I mean no disrespect, of course, to all of the developers that have been developing clients for the Fediverse for years, because you know there's a Mastodon one that you know was developed on part of the Mastodon project, but mm-hmm. it's not the best. Most people don't really like it that much. Um, I mean, I've used it from time to time just to have a play, and it's not really that great. I've been using Toot, exclamation point, mm-hmm. and uh, I quite enjoy that. It's very whimsical, feels very apple in its whimsiness. Um, I, I, quite enjoy, I, I quite enjoy it simply because of that. Um, that plus it works nicely with Pleroma. There's no issues there. Yeah. Um, but I've also been using um, uh, Metatext, and Metatext has been pretty good as well, even though currently it's, I think it's become less supported of late, less updated. 
I think there was an update not too terribly long ago for Meditech. Yeah, there was. I think I think it had been stagnant for a while, and then the influx of people, someone's picked up the project to run with it. That's cool. But all I do, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pr- I think that's what happened. Don't quote me, but I do know that um, that Ivory, uh, I, 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 sorry, I do know that they are pushing very hard to get something out um, in like. I'm not going to say January, but maybe February. They're trying to get something out, even if it's in like a, a, a very early like pre-beta build or something for for people to buy, um, because right. they need income. Well, I suspect that at that point they'll make it free. I'm not so sure. I maybe they will. Well, the thing that I saw was that they were going to open. It, they were going to go ahead and put it in the app store as an early alpha, which. If they use that terminology, they could have some trouble with App Store review. So we'll see how they get around that. And maybe they just will avoid using that terminology within the App Store and just put it, you know, on their website or in their their social profiles or whatever. But I saw a thing because they were really discouraged that you know all the test flight spots are full, and I don't think they can add any more if they want to. I think they've literally maxed it out. No, they've maxed it. Yeah, yeah, but. uh if you're going to put something out there and you're going to call it like a, a an early alpha, I don't personally myself, I wouldn't feel right charging people money for that. <laughs> but I guess then again, once you create the SKU in the app store, if you give it away for free, then the people that go ahead and get it, then I guess they're always going to have the app, but they could probably, you know, uh, I wasn't uh tweet Isn't it on a subscription model now? Uh, it has been for quite a while. Yes. And I'm happy to pay. So them. what they could probably do is go ahead and put it out for free. And then when they're like officially ready, then they can throw up a subscription for, you know, pro features or whatever. Yeah. I, I suspect they'll do something like that. So it'll probably get listed for free. There'll be an in-app purchase. There'll be some crippling in it um, in order to mm-hmm. encourage you to say, Oh, look, you know, you know, throw us a tip or whatever else. We'll unlock a couple extra features, and then when it comes out, it'll become a regular pricing model. Right. But people are so thirsty for a professionally crafted app, you know. And it's like it's it is so nice. Have you got it? Have you? I I do. I feel guilty about it right now, listening to you talk about it because mm-hmm. I got it and I'm not paying it a ton of attention, and I feel terrible about that because you actually would really use it, and you can't get it. It is very nice. It's so nice that it actually makes me wish I had been using TweetBot when I cared about Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, here's the thing. Um, I'm no, I don't have false expectations regarding um, Ivory and the state that it's in today. If it's pre-alpha, you know, like, like I don't know what stuff is still not working, but I was, you know, at some point not that long ago, things like profile editing wasn't working, follow accounts aren't working, like, the whole bunch of stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I don't care about that. Um, all I care about is, hey, is this going to work with Pleroma? Because I've been running Pleroma now for nearly four years and it is such a, well, to be honest, it, it's a really great self, like it's it's great for self-hosted, um, the like, like a single user instance. Mm-hmm. And it is so much more performant than Mastodon. Uh, so you don't need a VPS that's so heavy. Um although I have started to run into some of the walls as I've gotten more and more followers. So I am going to have to do something about that longer term. But for the moment, the problem is simple, and that is that Pleroma does, in fact, follow the Mastodon API, but it is not entirely 100% to the letter. So there's a couple of little quirky things that it does that are subtly different. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take much to tweak it to support it. Uh, But some of the other apps, like, for example, I've got something like, I don't know, maybe 15 or 16 different Mastodon clients that I've tried. 
And at the moment of those, only four of them actually work reliably with Pleroma. And it's not because yeah. Pleroma is, is, is defective or anything. It's just because, yeah, those developers are focused on the, um, on the Mastodon. So, I mean, honestly, I think um, it can't come soon enough because um, it's things like – here's the thing. And, and I said before, I don't want to be disrespectful of, of existing developers. But, I mean, the, the problem is that um, – so, the developer of Toot, exclamation mark, is um, staunchly against quote tweeting. And I listened back to an episode um, of, of Bubble Sort, you know, over the holidays where I – Yeah, where we, you, we discussed Where we that. discussed yep. this. And I said, yes, it does support quote tweeting, you know, tooting, posting, whatever. And uh, and at the time, what I had neglected to mention is the fact that there is a fork of Pleroma that supports it and there was a client that supported it, but it was a hack. It wasn't native, quote, tweeting. And so mm-hmm. I sort of, when I said that, it was a bit off the cuff and I probably should have done more research on that. And Macedon definitely doesn't support it. Right. And so there are developers like developer of Toot, exclamation point and uh, and he is steadfastly against doing quote tweeting right which I think is a ridiculous stance um, because I don't think quote t- tweeting is an actual issue um, people ascribe it as being a negative um, design pattern um, and it's not it's a time saver I mean if, if mm-hmm. people are going to be an asshole to you they're going to be an asshole to you um, that's it it, they'll just reply and say to your comment, you know, like, you know, like someone says something inflammatory and I'll respond if I'm going to be an asshole and I'll say, I think that you are a such and such because you said something inflammatory to which I disagree. If they quote tweet you or not, they're still going to do it. Yeah. So to say that one design pattern leads to another is BS. Yeah. What actually causes it. So the algorithmic timeline is what actually leads to it because the algorithm is designed to boost content that other people have also liked or re- retweeted. Right. And so the more inflammatory it is, the more it gets amplified. And there is no, not that same effect is nowhere near as prevalent on, um, on Mastodon, sorry, the Fediverse, because the Fediverse is a pseudo chronological timeline. And I say pseudo chronological right. because if you think about it, um, if you've got a server and that server's getting hammered because it's just there's been a popular post on it, there can be delays of five five minutes, ten minutes for the propagation of posts from their server to yours. So the timestamp that you get is the timestamp that you're like the order that shows up in your timeline is when your server received it. Right. It doesn't go back to the original time of the post necessarily and reorder it. Mm. So I don't. Ne- That's interesting. Well, it's just it's a side effect of having a distributed system. Right, I get that because you know it would take th- things time to propagate yeah. and stuff. But isn't there the like the original post date? Isn't mm-hmm. that that metadata is transferred with everything? Isn't it? Well, of course, it, of course. And there are some clients that will try to do that, but just just keep in mind that not every server is time synchronized, and you've got well, that's true. Yeah, and so you've got this problem where you you can't guarantee. So that's the, mm, there's lots of little fine details when you start pulling that thread. You realize that the Fediverse is not. It's not perfectly chronological, but it's not interfered with yeah. by an algorithm. So it's only interfered with by, shall we say, random clock drift right. and propagation delays. So it's not like it's intentional and it certainly isn't going to amplify anything. Anyway. No, they'd have to like 
routinely invalidate the cache or something or just routinely restore. Yeah. I don't. Well, here's the other thing that, that really annoys me is that I've had multiple developers mm-hmm. that have been, and because I, I follow the developers of the, the, one, the applications that I like. Yeah. And I like to see their at mentions. So when they respond to someone, I want to say, oh, yeah. So this person asked them for this feature, which is auto timeline loading. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so the developer goes back to this particular person and says, I get this request all the time. And I'm like, hmm, maybe that means you should probably take it more seriously. And he says, I don't want to hammer their server with a bunch of unnecessary requests. When you reach the point in the timeline where there's a gap, just tap load more. How hard is that? Question mark. And I'm yeah, probably that's... I'm probably mangling his response and maybe sounding a little bit mean or a bit harsher than it should have than than maybe it was meant. But irrespective, it's like what Tweetbot did is, and I'm pretty sure Twitter did the same thing, is that as you were scrolling down and you're approaching the next point in the timeline, if there was a gap, it would go back and fetch it before it reached you at the rate you were scrolling. Right. And so, right. you know, but in, in some cases where there was a gap, you could still tap if there was still a gap there by the time your finger got to it. But most of the time when I got to that point in Tweetbot, it already loaded it before I even had a chance to tap it. Yeah. See, it's little things like this mm-hmm. that's the difference between a well-polished app and an excuse. Right. And there's lots of clients out there for, for the Fediverse that are that are quite fine, but they're not as good. Yeah. I don't even know, like, I'm not even 100% certain if it's fair to say an excuse. I mean, I will definitely agree with you that little things like that are what makes an app very well polished, makes it cherished, loved, and adored, and all that good stuff. Yeah. When you're when you're working on an app, like most of these Mastodon apps, you know, that, to my knowledge, Ivory is the first one being tackled by a big studio, yeah. you know. And that when I say big studio, they're still, to my knowledge, like three or four people, maybe something like that. Yeah, some of that. But, you know, a lot of the, the Mastodon and Fediverse apps to this point, you know, most of them are like a single dude or at best a couple of exactly. dudes. Exactly. So exactly. They, they have to, they have to, you know, prioritize and, and judge what they can tackle and stuff. And I mean, it's, it's fair for him to say, why is it such a big deal to have to tap load more? But when users are used to features from the big polished apps, it definitely makes your app look a little bit second rate, which, you know, we all have decisions and trade-offs that we have to make when we're working on these projects. But, you know, sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. it might be a big hassle for a one-man show to try and implement that feature, but it could really pay off that time spent doing it. Exactly. It's just hard for him him to justify. And Timeline Sync is the other one that really has pissed me off for years. Like none of the developers will do it. And they're like, oh, well, the mechanism that was built into Mastodon doesn't really work that reliably. So we're just not going to bother. It's like Tweetbot and Twitterific both came up with their own independent system for syncing it. And I think they switched over to syncing via iCloud Drive at some point as well. But the point is that these cross-platform apps can't use iCloud Drive. Right. Um, so they'd need a third a third party system like Tweetmarker, which they don't want to build. So they just said, Well, who cares? Um Right. So it's like it's decisions like that that really have annoyed me. And it's like I've waited and I've waited and I've waited. It's not like I've I've I haven't had angry blog posts and gone ranting about this all the time. It's something that I've been sitting on for right. five years. And I would have sit on for another five years, but then Ivory comes along, Twitter's fallen apart. Well, at least from a tech geek point mm-hmm. of view, it's falling apart. And honestly, I'm like, thank God someone's actually going to do this. And 
And it's funny, you know, because some of these, um, some of the developers of the traditional Fediverse apps have actually reacted very negatively to Ivory because they're so like saying, um, you know, like all this hype for another app. We've been here for years. Yeah. You know, what makes you so special? Yeah. And it's like, do you know what makes them special? It's all the all all the other stuff that you have been refusing to do. Have you used the app? <laughs> and you had years to do it. So here's the thing, right? I ultimately love Toot, exclamation mark. I used it for probably three years. I've paid for, mm-hmm. um, I've thrown tips at it. I've like- I've spent a decent amount of money supporting that app because I love it and I still do, even though I'm now switched to MetaText and there is no such mechanism in MetaText for that. Um, yeah. I, I still am very, you know, I'm still very grateful that that app exists. I hope it continues to exist. But the truth is that there are better apps coming thanks to Twitter burning, basically. So, anyway, yeah. circling back, the whole third-party client thing, inevitable. Um, it's not surprising to me at all. It's also not surprising to me the way that Twitter went about it because their new leadership is um, look. You, you, people going on hating on Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. Let let's be let's be clear. Elon Musk is a ruthless businessman. Okay, um, he he doesn't care about. I feel like that's kind of generous. Well, <laughs> he doesn't care about how you feel. He doesn't care about the developers that helped to build Twitter. He's looking at Twitter as it stands today, and he's like, right. Um, this is a business. What's costing me money? Um, these ones here are skirting, you know, uh, ads, so we get no ad revenue from them. Doesn't matter if they're a small drop in the bu- bucket. It's a matter of principle. If you're hitting the API X number of times, you just get cut off. Thanks for coming. It's my platform. If I don't want to share it, I won't. It's that simple. It's a simple business decision. He just does not care. And in the grand scheme of things, geeks need to realize that it actually will not affect Twitter. If you stop using it, it won't. It won't. It's not going to affect the fortunes of Twitter. Believe me, hmm. he'll burn Twitter for through different reasons and cutting off the API to third party clients. Well, that's just going to be one of many logs on the fire that burn Twitter down. Well, it, that is uh, exactly yes. Good way of putting it. Yeah, and 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 just another thing, I just want to get off my chest while we're on the subject about Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. There are people that are saying, you know what? Oh, I um, I can't drive a Tesla anymore. You know, because Elon Musk is such a, you know, pain in the butt or I don't like him anymore. Yeah. Marco's been lamenting about wanting to sell his. Marco's not the only one. There's actually quite a few people that I've heard. They're saying like, and and I follow Tesla forums and so on. And and some people saying, no, I just can't deal with this clown anymore. There's Mm -hmm. other um, electric cars in the market that'll do as good a job. Um, I don't want to support this guy anymore. Right. And you do realize that you're you know, um, emotional gesture will change absolutely nothing in the grand calculus of anything. It's like, if you like the car, drive it. If you don't, sell it and get one you like driving. Yeah. It's like, do you make a decision about whether or not you're going to buy or sell a Kia based on who the CEO of Kia is or Hyundai or Hyundai or mm-hmm. or um, like pick a brand? So, it, it, I like seriously, this is how grownups make decisions is, right. well, there's this guy that works at the company and I don't like him, so we're just not going to support that company. It's like, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. It's not rational. and and It's not rational. It's just emotional. It's human nature. Well, <sighs> they really don't like this guy. They don't like what he's doing. They don't like what the world is learning about him through the way he's handling the whole Twitter thing. And it just, 
I agree with you 100%. It's not rational at all. It's not necessarily even logical. And then, like you said, they're not really going to hurt Tesla, although I think their stock is down a little bit right now. Well, that's not going to hurt Tesla either because in the end... No, it's not, but it's just... You know, people vote with their wallets and they vote with their hearts. And, and right now they're not feeling much in their heart for Elon Musk. <laughs> well, um, I prefer to look at it um, like this. If people really have an issue with Elon Musk, they should get on Twitter, tell them that he's a jerk, have their account banned, problem solved. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Let's m- that about sums it up. Yep. Let's move on, shall we? Um, and... F- and, and yes, and for the record, my love-hate relationship for Elon Musk has been sliding more towards hate than to love in recent times, if you hadn't figured that out. But that's okay. Yeah. All right. Brief mention of the... Uh, there was uh, a new Mac Mini, an M2 Mac Mini, uh, and a MacBook Pro, I believe, was released this week. They turned our computers into dirt, John. They did not. I have an M2 MacBook <laughs> Air. Thank you very much. And whilst my Mac Studio is looking very cautiously sideways at the new Mac Mini, mm-hmm. um, if you look at the cost per spec, like if I match specs with my, um, well, obviously the M1 is not as fast as the M2, but um, if you look at every other spec, it's almost, it's a, re- it's a little bit cheaper, the Mac Mini. Mm-hmm. But it's not that much cheaper. And if I were to right. look at the thermal, the thermal headroom that's available on this beautiful Mac Studio, uh, I'm I'm not actually annoyed. I, I, I thought, oh great, I could have gotten away with a Mac Mini now, but no, um, I could have technically wanting to drive the the, the three uh, 4K screens that I've got, but yeah, I'm not having buyer's remorse. Uh, as a result of this release. No, I, I think you're going to be fine with your Mac Studio. And I'm really fine with my M1, M1 uh, Max MacBook Pro. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just, it's it's my thing. I always say they turn our machines into dirt. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's more in jest than anything. Uh, they're, they're, they're a pretty decent spec bump and a speed bump. But honestly, they're, they're a speed bump. I don't. I'm not really lusting after a new MacBook Pro because mine is still the greatest machine I've ever had and I think it's going to continue to be that way for a long time. And I don't feel like the difference to from M1 to M2, it's nothing compared to the difference from Intel to M1. Oh, for sure. So yeah, I think our machines are going to hold their weight for a long time. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think that the, the testament to how successful... Uh, the M1 is as a system on a chip is evident by evidenced by the fact that it's in practically every Mac and that they stuck with it for what two and a half years iPads now too and iPads yeah true so it's it's a pretty solid design yeah it hasn't been any major issues uh, associated with it as far as I can tell so mm-hmm. I mean honestly yeah no I I agree I'm not worried it's more the buyer's remorse sort of thing. Like, you know, you buy a computer and then six months later, another one comes out that could have done the same job for less money. And you're like, oh, right. if only I'd waited, blah, blah, blah. Like my lamenting with my trash can Mac Pro, for example. But anyway. Yeah. That's okay. So, yeah, my Mac Studio is perfectly happy. I'm still waiting on that to arrive so I can season <laughs> it for you. Keep waiting. <laughs> All right. I didn't have anything else to add on that. I just wanted to point out. Can we can we just take a moment to 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 recognize and and marvel in awe at the fact that like all this M1 and M2 goodness that we have is all due to the iPhone had they not spent so many years 
trying to make that thing extremely powerful and extremely power efficient in a very constrained environment. We may have never gotten these M1 Max and M2 Max, and I just think that to me is pretty amazing and remarkable, and it's just... Who would have ever thought that, you know, the Mac would be experiencing such a renaissance from work that they did for the iPhone? Yeah, well, that is true. It is uh, it is a good point. And uh, Apple's investment in the ARM architecture, mm-hmm. um, in part due to that situation, I mean, clearly it's taken a long time to pay off. And I, I just want to add, though, that it's not just that for me. It, it's also the fact that Intel dragged their heels for so many years and struggled that it that is a big factor too. Yeah, and I feel like those two things, like Intel pushed Apple down this road, and I suspect that there'll be people at Intel that are kicking themselves for the fact that they did not give that. Yeah, they didn't push hard enough to evolve and move forward with their designs seriously enough. They thought they had the market cornered, and now they've lost a massive slice of it. There's only one. There's only one uh, Mac left now that's that still has an Intel chip in it, and that's the Mac Pro from 2019. Right. Well, and I think it's actually it's a double-layered kick in the crotch because um, Scott told me a little while back, we were having pretty much the same discussion, you know, and uh, he said that Intel actually at one point owned the technology that ARM was based on, and they didn't think it was going anywhere, so they sold it off. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I did know that. And not only that, um, they, they well, what's the expression? They doubled down on their um, on their complex, yeah. and complex instruction set code, CISC processes. Mm-hmm. They doubled down wrong. <laughs> well, they did. I mean, don't worry. It, it, it worked well for them for a long time. Yeah. A very long time. And um, I think another thing that's um, that ARM is benefiting from is um, programming languages and development that allows lots of parallel, you know, pressing, uh, processing and um, have, and getting all of that multi-threaded programming to work cohesively so you can distribute right. load across CPUs and so on. So, I mean, a lot of that stuff as well has enabled that to work because, yeah. you know, you, you kind of had two choices, right? Either you had, went for a highly powerful single core you know, with a complex instruction set or you went with ARM, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, reduced instruction set code. And and the thing with risk processes is that um, they can do less than a single instruction, but they can execute it very, very quickly. So anyway, right. swings and roundabouts. And then you throw a bunch of cores in there and, and, and you provide a good mix of, you know, efficiency cores and power cores. And yeah, you can, you can really spread out some workload and make a phenomenal machine. Indeed. Although I still want the more powerful cores. I want every single one to be super powerful. I don't want these lazy-ass, boring cores off in the corner there just saying, you know. Yeah, but then, then, then my MacBook Pro wouldn't have the the, the phenomenal battery well, life that, that it well, has. that's great for your laptop, man. I'm talking about my Mac Studio. It's like, come on. I don't need efficiency cores in this puppy. Come on. Anyhow. <laughs> all right. It's, it's plugged into the wall, man. Let it run. Exactly. Yes. God, it's a beautiful machine. All right. We should probably go on to the main topic at this point, which is about um, Apple Watches and Apple Watch evolution. And um, this is particularly important um, to me and to you personally because of our recent purchases. But we'll get to that at the end. Okay. Uh, And and I realized when I was doing the prep for this episode that I was thinking, look, there's there's a bunch of different ways that we could slice this, you know. 
And Mm -hmm. there's lots of specs and details and technical things to dive into. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to stick with uh, what I think are the fundamental, uh, shall we say, steps in the design evolution of the watch. Okay. So, first of all, we've got to do the history lesson because this is pragmatic and that's part of the thing. So, um, Mm -hmm. our model list over time with dates all right. And we'll pause for each of them and uh, we'll do hands up as to which of them you or I have owned along the journey. Okay. Just for, sh- just, okay. just for fun. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> the, yeah. That was a close one. <laughs> just, yeah, I know. Right? I nearly said it. Okay. So, the original Apple Watch, which we came to refer to, some people called it the Beta Watch. Some people call it the Series Zero mm-hmm. in any case. I like the Zero. Yeah, I like Series Zero better too. Um, 24th of April, 2015 was when that was Mm -hmm. uh, released. So, um, I'm going to put my hand up and say I had a Series 0. It was an aluminium version. It was not a uh, stainless steel. Um, I'm pretty sure you had one. Oh, 42 millimeter too. I'm going to put... I'm going to I'm going to see your had a series 0 and I'm going to raise you to still have that series 0. Oh Does that thing even still Although uh well the face is currently popped off of it due to battery swelling. <laughs> oh man. I think I'm pretty sure Clay replaced a battery in one once himself and I want to I want to get with him one day and and find out where he got his battery probably I fix it I would imagine yeah probably but uh, I I think I want to fix it just to just to keep it in operational order okay I love that watch So what kind of watch is it It's just a uh, just a the space gray black aluminum one Okay sport watch yeah. So it's a sport as well so it's aluminum as well and uh it was uh, mm-hmm. 44 millimeters uh, 42 millimeters sorry Yeah that was the large yeah. size at the time it was the last size at the time. All right. Yeah. Moving on. So they did a bizarro thing, which they've never done since, but I, and I still don't understand why they did it, but they released both the Series 1 and a Series 2 on the same day, which was the 16th of September in 2016. So it was about a year and a half, not quite, later. And, um, yeah, so they released two watches at the same time. And the Series 1 was... Mm-hmm. Um, shall we say, uh, cheaper and had less, uh, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was slightly deficient. But in any case, I got... It had the uh, same system on the chip, yeah. so it got the speed boost of the Series 2, but it did not have, I think, the GPS and stuff like that integrated into it that the Series 2 brought. Yeah, it was something like that. I've I've, I've blocked it out of my memory because I, I, I bought the Series 2. Um, mm-hmm. so, and when I got my series two, that was when I decided, yep, I'm doing stainless. So I got myself a stainless steel series two Apple watch and, um, mm. it was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. Um, did you get a one or a two? I sat out on the series one and two. I was still just rocking my zero. Nice. All right. Series three was about a year later on the 22nd of September, 2017, which I once again, like an idiot, Oh, wow. This has got um, our cellular in it now, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, the Series 3. Um, yeah. Yes, that is the one that brought mm-hmm. cellular. So, uh, I got that one with cellular and I promptly sold my Series 2 to help pay the price difference because it was only a year old. So, I actually got a reasonable amount of money for it. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And did you have a Series 3? I did get a Series 3, and that was the start of my multi-watch lifestyle. I hung on to my Zero and used it uh, for a while the Series 3 was charging. Mm -hmm. I also bought the cellular model because I thought that was going to be a pretty big game changer. Mm -hmm. Cool. And I had no regrets. I really enjoyed it. I still have that watch. Wow. No, I don't have that watch. My son has that watch. Oh, okay. Fair enough. It, it's still in service, yeah. but I don't have it in my possession. Very good. All right. So the Series 4 came out on the 21st of September 2018. Uh, I did not mm-hmm. actually um, get a Series 4. I actually hung on to my Series 3 because at that point I figured um, I'm not doing this two years in a row. I just can't justify right. <laughs> um, you. I think you also skipped Series 4, didn't you? I did skip the Series 4, yes. Right. So then we move on to the Series 5. So I did mm-hmm. briefly own a Series 5 uh, watch. That was on the 20 September 2019 that was released. So I briefly owned one, um, but there was a financial situation and I needed money quickly, so I had to sell it. And I went without a watch for, well, probably about nine months, eight months, nine months. Um, yeah, pretty rough time uh, for me personally. I'm so sorry. I uh, know it was tragic, but it was fine. I mean, it wasn't that old, so I actually got most of my money back. So it wasn't like I lost a lot of money on it. Um, but yeah, sometimes things happen in life and you've got to make sacrifices. And that was one that I made. This is true. It was the right call at the time. Uh, did you get a Series 5? Mm-hmm. I did get a Series 5. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, no, the Series 4 was the one that made the screen slightly bigger, was I believe so, yes. We're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I, I, I sat out the Series 4 because, like like you said, you know, doing these every year is just, <laughs> a lot of people do it. Good on them. I'm happy for them. I can't personally justify buying a new watch every single year. So I, I sat out the Series 4, but I did upgrade to the Series 5, and I, that watch is actually still in service. That's that's my secondary watch that I use while my current watch is charging. Cool. And uh, it's still a really good watch. I honestly didn't have any complaints about that watch or its performance until I got my current watch, and then it made it dirt. <laughs> Oh, dear. All right. Okay. So, the next year, 18th of September, 2020. So, now we are into COVID because, of course, everything has to be measured against when where we were in the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. um, which technically, by the way, as of time of recording, is still technically not over, but never mind that. Series 6 and SE, or the first generation SE anyway, were released that year. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I invested in one of those. And that was my, uh, that was the 44 millimeter. Uh, again, stainless steel because I am a creature of habit mm-hmm. and um, I did not get an SE. And at that point, my Series 3 by this point had been uh, handed down to my uh, oldest son who still uses it today and it still works today and the battery just makes it through the day, although it had a swollen battery, had the battery replaced um, mm. for free. Thank you, Apple. Um, yes. So did you end up getting a 6 or an SE? I did not. I set out the 6. All right. Very if I remember correctly, it wasn't a very significant upgrade from the five, and I think I was just perfectly content with the five. And like I said, I wasn't going to buy one every year. Yes, exactly. Very good. Right. Um, series seven, fifteenth of October, twenty twenty one. So we're getting closer to today. And the series seven, I think the big selling point was the bigger screen. Right. And um, it was now a forty five millimeter would have been what I could have gotten, but you know, having just spent money on a nice stainless steel series six, it was still fine. I uh, I let mm-hmm. that one be. Did you? Yeah. 
I actually passed on the Series 7. I was very tempted by the 7, mm-hmm. and I really liked the looks of the 7, and I really wanted that display, you know, because that had the uh, edge-to-edge and the fancy design watch faces to, like, really show off that curve around the, the bezel. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. it was really nice, but I was also, at that time, you know, I was going through laptops like they were going out of style because I bought the first generation 16 inch laptop and then they put out the M1 laptops and that made mine dirt and so I traded in my money was tied up in laptops let's just say that so I set out the seven For sure all right so finally we are at current day which is series eight the SE second edition and the ultra and that was the 16th of September 2022 thereabouts yes um so that's where we are today now um we're going to stop what we bought there for just for a second. Okay. So one of the things that all of these watches have more or less in common, every single release, there was a sport-like model that had aluminium as the case material mm-hmm. and had uh, ion glass uh, for the watch face. And uh, generally, the back was made out of ceramic. It goes against the skin. Mm-hmm. You know, bands are not really part. I don't want to even talk about bands too much in this episode. But, you know, I've done, I did a whole episode with Marco about watch bands back in 2016. If you really want to listen back to it, there'll be a link in the show notes. But um, one of the things that was really interesting in this period, because I had a Hermes, oh, sorry, Hermes for most of that time, I think. Um, uh, and then... Like they've had like the the SE is really effectively like a sport. Nike is effectively a sport. Mm -hmm. The stainless steel has always been the super posh version. But then they had this other one called the Edition. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the Edition is that it was one of those weird ones that's come and gone and come and gone. Mm -hmm. And they've really tried a bunch of different stuff. So, first of all, the Series Zero Edition was famously available in 18 karat gold, which is like yellow or rose gold. I believe it also had an 18K price tag, it, if I'm not mistaken. It, it did, yes. So um, <laughs> I, I kind of wonder what the battery warranty on that was when you spent 18 large on a on a watch. But anyhow. Oh, man. Could you imagine having that thing in the face popping off of it, dude, as well? Oh, man, you'd be pissed, wouldn't you? You'd be like, wow. I think that thing, that I think that was honestly, you know, people could talk about butterfly keyboards all they want to, but I think that this was like, the the gold edition watch I think was the epitome and the peak of Johnny Ive excess. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. I mean, yeah. they they looked beautiful in the renders. I never saw one in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, Me and, I, and I think they only sold like two and a half thousand globally. I'm surprised they sold right. that many. But in any case, the series two replaced the gold with a ceramic, a white ceramic, which. When I when I saw the photos and I saw one in the store as well, actually, it wasn't quite a pure white, and it looked it was a light, like a bit of an off white ceramic. Yeah, which frankly I didn't actually like the look of. I thought it just did. It looked. I thought it looked kind of sharp. Yeah, yeah, it was glossy. Yeah, but it just. Yeah, I just for some reason it just didn't strike me as being. Like, it didn't feel or look like that. I was gonna say additiony. You know, like. Posh, yeah, you know, like if I'm yeah. paying. Well, and it also it, it brought the uh, price down. I think the edition came in at eleven hundred when they went to ceramic. Is that right? Something like that. It was a few hundred dollars more than the stainless steel, so it was wasn't too much more. It made it more affordable, but at the same time, I'm right. like, I preferred the look of the stainless steel, which is why I never got one because I could have stretched and got one if I wanted to, but I chose not to. Um, they did add the gray uh, in the ceramic though, 
uh, in the Series 3. And then something strange happened. They didn't release one with the Series 4. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like, oh, no, the edition's gone. And Apple's like, ah, no, just kidding. In Series 5, they brought it back, but it was made out of the ceramic, the white ceramic only, and titanium this time. Yeah. So if I remember correctly, titanium was the first, um, the edition was the first titanium that they tried in a watch. I think so, yeah. I think you were correct. Yeah. And it's always been available in titanium in either a natural titanium finish or a space black finish. And they did the same thing for the 6 and the 7. And then they did another Series 4 trick. So that for the Series 8 year, there is no longer an edition watch. Mm. And I think this time it might be permanent. Yeah. So let's just go through like the... Um, I, I think that the uh, the edition got supplanted by the Ultra. Well, sure. And we'll talk That's about that. That's my personal opinion. Yep. I, I know I would agree with that. So, um, but I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, so, looking at the different materials that they've used for building Apple Watches over the years, they had gold. It was very brief and very expensive and very much waste of time. Um, stainless steel, uh, you've got aluminium, ceramic, and, of course, titanium. Mm-hmm. So, the most recent material that they've actually trialed is titanium. And I feel like, um, like titanium is more expensive than stainless steel. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like the look, but you can't argue with its strength to weight ratio. It's quite light compared to something like stainless steel. Right. All right. Now, let's talk about the evolution of the of the styles. And by styles, I'm talking about like effectively the sizing. And the sizing is, 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 is a bit odd. And I find the sizing odd because we start out with 38 millimeter and 42 millimeters. That's like, mm-hmm. so that was kind of, you know, like the, essentially a, a measure of the screen size, not precisely, not pixels exactly. It was all very um, roughly, roughly. And of course, the funny part of it all is that irrespective of what they do with the screen, thankfully, they kept the lug sizes the same. So if you bought a 42 millimeter or large size watch mm-hmm. band, that that band will still fit in a Apple Watch Ultra, despite the fact that the Ultra clocks in at 49 millimeters. So- yeah, yeah, and I think that's fantastic um, because I actually do. That have, is fantastic. Yeah, I actually do have watch bands that I got from my original watch that is still in the house. Right, and I think every step along the way, a lot of people, like such as yourself, that had invested in those collections, you know, every year when it's Apple Watch time, everybody's just waiting to see that they finally change that lug size yep. in their case. Their 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 band collection's useless now, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, uncharacteristically. In Apple fashion, they actually have kept that consistent and it's continued on. Exactly. And you're right. You just you hold your breath at the keynote. And even after the keynote, mm. if it's not obvious, you're still holding your breath a little bit. You're like, oh, please don't, please don't, please don't obsolete my, my, my watch bands because I've got a problem with watch bands, which has not improved, uh-huh. which we'll get to. Um, oh, boy. I know. <laughs> All right. So talking about this sizing then. So effectively, if you were to look at the Apple Watch uh, as just like a watch from the outside, what does it actually look like? And what it actually looks like is Series 0, 1, 2, and 3 are all effectively the same original size and design, Mm -hmm. more or less. A little bit thicker, a little bit thinner, subtle variations on the color of the dot or circle on the dial uh, on your your digital crown, I should say. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like effectively unchanged all right you had the two sizes 
when we got to this, especially with the uh, zero, one, and two, you had to look. I don't know if you could actually look at those and identify a different which model was which. Well, considering that the one, the three brought the red ring on the crown. If you had the the cellular model, so that one kind of stood out at a glance. You could tell it was different, but well, in fairness to the one and two, they came out in the same year. So the difference between True. the zero and the one slash two is um is only is is only one year but but yeah you're right that's true unless you really knew what to yeah. look for you couldn't tell the difference and right and so when it came to the four five and six we started to see okay time for some thinner bezels we're going to go for a different size screen and they they upped the 38 millimeter to a 40 millimeter and the 42 millimeter to a 44 millimeter screen mm-hmm. thankfully lugs still fit two thumbs up thank you Adam. <laughs> but um but that larger screen meant they could do different, um, you know, different uh, watch faces, and uh, some of them had more complications, and they could have more information on the screens. So that's that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go to the seven and eight. At that point, they went to a larger screen again and bumped it up another millimeter. So the forty millimeter became forty one, and the forty four millimeter became forty five. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, came the Ultra, which is a larger screen again, and we'll get to the percentages in a second. Um, and it is now 49 millimeters, which is a much bigger jump. Mm-hmm. And it is a big, chunky watch, or chonky, as my kids prefer to call it. Chonky? Chonky. <laughs> yeah. It's like chonky. chunky, but with an O. I don't actually understand why, but they just say, yeah, Dad, that, that watch is chonky. I'm like, yeah totes amazeballs or what am, what's the well, i don't even know what's supposed to be saying anymore you know yes my children <laughs> i agree with your slang it is good and i am now old okay yes you're i was getting ready to say you're aging yourself out here john yeah totally 100 <laughs> percent um yeah it's funny actually i was in a, it's a bit of a sidetrack i was in a meeting uh late last year and we had some young digital um software developers in the room like we're talking like early 20s or whatever um, whippersnappers, whippersnappers, yeah, whatever else. And I said to the other older engineers in the room or whatever, um, I said, yeah, yeah, we got a yeet, you know. And the guy said, yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the older people looking at me saying, what, what did you just say? And I looked at the young guy across the room and I was saying, pick the guy that's got teenage kids. And and the guy said, I knew what you meant. I said, I know you know. But the older ones don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, hanging out with my teenage sons has prepared me for the whippersnapper generation. There you go. After that, I'm screwed, though. In 10 years, I will have no idea once again. Mm. Okay, moving on. Or rather back. That's okay. They won't anymore either. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> That's right. My then, my, my then 30-year-old son will say, Dad, these young kids, they talk strange. I'll be like, yeah, they certainly do, son. <laughs> It is most troublesome. <laughs> Anyhow, moving on. All right. Another little statistic that I wanted to dig up, and I only say this because I find it to be interesting uh, insofar as how much space do you need on an Apple Watch, you know, like for storage? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's the RAM thing, but I'm more interested in the solid state storage because I like putting my podcasts on there. I like having music that I yeah. don't have to stream, pop in the AirPods, go and do some mowing around the yard, use the mowing meter app, have a great time. You know what I mean? Oh, boy. And you see, <laughs> yeah. you got this you got this solid state storage on your watch. And I thought, you know, I know that now it's 32 gig, but it, I thought it had been a, a 32 gig for a few years. So, I dug through the history and 
What I didn't realize is that the Series 0, 1, 2, and 3 all had 8 gig of storage, except the LTE model, which I remember had 16 gig. Yep. They they then kept 16 gig for the Series 4, and then from 5 onwards, it's always been 32 gig, even the Ultra. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they've kind of settled on that amount. I suspect the reason that they did is because partly because of the uh, the OS updates, and yeah, uh, I think people are putting you know I was going to say more apps, but bigger apps perhaps on the watch. Uh, but some of that storage is clearly for um, uh, is it, it's I don't hang on let me rephrase that I don't know how long it's going to be before they go to sixty four gig of storage on the watch, but it feels to me like that seems to be their happy spot. Because, I mean, Series 5 yeah, to now. They seem, is they seem comfortable at 32. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been three years, uh, three and a half, roughly. Um, they've been doing that now. So maybe they'll bump it next time, maybe the time after. But it's uh, uh, anyway. But I, I find these days I don't run out of space. So I go and I'll. So before mm-hmm. I go and, you know, do mowing or go for a run or whatever, which is okay. Mowing is more likely than me going for a run, just saying. But still, um, you know. I'll load it up with like four or five episodes of whatever I'm listening to and it, it, it's never an issue. There's always plenty of space, which is fine. So anyway. Mm-hmm. So about battery life. So I know that this has been a tenuous thing, but um, even though the battery has increased in size and that's partly because the screens have gotten bigger, brighter and have more battery drain uh, and there's always on to contend with as well, but um, they still target an 18-hour so-called all-day battery life. Um, I just want to message Apple, if you're listening. All day is 24 hours, okay? Mm. it's That's 24 hours is an all-day battery life, okay? 18 hours is not all day, okay? I'm still, I'm still alive in that intervening six hours. I mean, I may be asleep, but hey, at least we hope I'm asleep. Yeah, but... I mean, you should be sleep tracking, right? Exactly right. And I can't do that if there's no charge in my watch. Anyway, mm. so there you go, Apple, pay attention. But the good news is that the Ultra- This is why I always have two. Well, just <laughs> good for you. Uh, so at this point in time, the Ultra is now officially double that. So, that, and that's that's standard without any power saving trickery or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I typically see more than double that. Uh, yes, indeed. All right. So a few more figures. One of the things that when I was looking into whether or not I get an Apple Watch Ultra was how much heavier is it? It's obviously bigger, 49 millimeters, although it's made out of titanium and I'm used to a stainless steel Series 6, 42 millimeters. So what was the difference? So for me, um, I was going from 47.1 grams to 61.3 grams. There's no escaping it. It's bigger. The battery's bigger. The, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just gonna, it's just a bigger watch. So yeah, it's not surprising. It weighs and about an extra, um, that's for an extra 14.2 grams. So mm-hmm. fine. Okay. Um, it's heavier. That is so true. Um, and you can feel that when you're wearing it. That's for sure. But never mind. Um, and the other dimension that I wouldn't look at, uh, was the thickness. So 10.7 millimeters for the stainless, uh, series six stainless steel. Uh, up to 14.4 millimeters for the Ultra. So, yes, I do actually bang it on more things because I'm, you know. Yeah, me too. I, I, it's, it's inevitable. Um, twice the brightness in terms of nits. No, not the things that suck the blood out of your scalp. No, this is the brightness nits. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not the parasites. Um, 
hey, I've got four kids, man. I'm acquainted with nits. What can I tell you? Um, but yes, thankfully, the kids have learned. Don't share hats at school, kids. That's right. Anyhow. There you go. I know. It's uh, good words of advice. All right. You're making my head itch. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the great things about having no hair is that you don't have to worry about nits. Anyway. Mm. All right. Uh, screen. So, the screen itself. Uh, is uh, on the this is now the ultra to the series eight comparison because I thought let's compare like if you got a series eight would you get series eight or would you get ultra mm-hmm. okay so and all this is going somewhere just you know trust me so four hundred and ten okay. by five hundred and two pixels versus three ninety six mm-hmm. by four hundred and eighty four pixels so it turns out the mm-hmm. ultra has seven point four percent more pixels okay that's great uh, than the series eight seven point more percent 7.4 pixels yeah which is yeah and they're much brighter pixels too so that should count for double but anyway whatever Uh, they're glorious they are glorious indeed the thing that's interesting though is if you look at the percentages and i realize that we're talking about um you know like if you count pixels Mm -hmm. uh, and then you look at the square millimeter display area it tells the other piece of the story so yes it has more pixels but are they bigger or smaller pixels so, an 1185 square millimeter display on the Ultra versus an 1143 square millimeter on the Series 8. So, that is only 3.6% bigger. So, all in all, it's got more pixels, but in a slightly smaller area or a higher pixel density, which therefore higher pixels, sorry, a smaller pixel size. It's only very slight. Mm-hmm. So, it therefore should be ever so marginally sharper. So, it's brighter, sharper, and more pixels than the Series 8. Right. As I said before, doubling the battery life, 18 to 36 hours. And if you go into super low power mode, which is not interesting to me personally, but you can get 60 hours. Have not actually achieved that. I haven't tried it either. No. I don't. It's not really interesting to me either. No. I mean, you're going to, it doesn't it turn off and disable many of the things that make the watch worth having. Mm-hmm. And I can routinely push this thing to 46 hours. I mean, no, not routinely. That's that's not the right word. Uh, on occasion, I will push this thing to 46 hours, probably maybe once a week if that often. But sometimes it's just nice to know that if I don't feel like being bothered to charge it, I could just wait another day and charge it tomorrow night instead. And I, like I said, I usually routinely it when that on the, on those events, those occurrences, I can push it to about 46 hours. And it's honestly still got usually somewhere around 10 or 15% left. Mm-hmm. And, but I need time to charge it before I go to bed, you know, so, cause can't get that third day out of it. No. But yeah. it's, 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 it's a total game changer in the watch. Oh, definitely. It, it puts into a completely different class. Um, yeah. In terms of what Apple's provided for, ooh, I don't know, since 2015. The the mm-hmm. next thing, though, about the Ultra, and this is now all things that the Ultra's got that the Series 8 doesn't, and what makes it a different watch. Um, so this is an interesting one that I want to dig into a little bit more technically on. Um, not too much, but a little bit. So they mentioned that it also supports uh, L5, uh, GPS as well as the standard L1 GPS that's available on all the other watches. Mm-hmm. So I it also has you know this the usual like GLONASS, um, Galileo, QZSS, and Beidou, which is the if I remember correctly is the Chinese one. Mm-hmm. So all these different global positioning systems from different countries, different you know constellations, and so on and so forth. Um, but L5 mm-hmm. is interesting because L5 is considered to be one of the next generation. Uh, or oh, what do they call it, uh, modernized GPS. So mm-hmm. 
a little bit of you know interesting information. So L1, L2, L5. Don't know what happened to three and four. Okay. L1 operates at 1575.42 megahertz, um, which is a wavelength of 190 millimeters. So that's the existing original GPS that the US military launched like 20, 30 years ago. They call uh, L1CA or course acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, the, at least that's the bit that's available to us mere mortals, the public that are non-military. Right. So course acquisition also has things like, you know, GPS clock and all that sort of stuff. So it's all like atomic clock and you can drive a clock, from, you know, signal from and everything. Mm-hmm. And the accuracy on that is pretty good. But what they do, what the watch does is the same kind of trick as the uh, the phone does is it'll do uh, assist so-called assisted GPS. So it'll get a rough fix on your location based on cell towers or Wi-Fi towers, what have you, or Wi-Fi mm-hmm. modems that are known. And it'll then, you know, correlate down to a more accurate reading f- based on that. Mm-hmm. But one of the problems with 190 millimeter wavelengths, it, well, I mean, anything that's, um, you know, measured around the uh, uh, <clears throat> around the 150 millimeter or getting up to, you know, that sort of a size uh, in terms of wavelength is it doesn't travel very well through solid objects. Yeah. So the longer the wavelength or the lower the frequency because vehicles F lambda means that you're going to get far better transmissibility uh, through things like, well, office buildings. So if you're, you know, going trying to find someone with a standard L1 GPS that's in a busy built up area, mm-hmm. they're probably not going to see too many satellites and you're not going to get very much signal through the building. So you need an open area to be found, which is not always practical. Well, and you don't even have to be inside the building. You could be like oh, yeah. in the valley between a, two, a, a street with skyscrapers on each side and down, down on the street level, you're not getting a lot either. Mm, exactly right. And, and I've been in that situation all the time when you're in downtown. It's like mm-hmm. my wife will sort of like say, oh, I was just seeing where you were on, on, the, on Find My Friends. And it turns out you're in the middle of the Brisbane River. And I'm like, well... I can assure you that I am not in the middle of the Brisbane River, but that's the problem is that it, it just can't- felt like a swim. <laughs> yeah. As much as I love Brisbane, have you seen the Brisbane River? It's tidal and it ain't. I have not. It is a little bit on the murky side, shall we say. Anyhow, that's fine. Mm. Um, right. So L2, um, it's also relatively new, but it has a frequency of 1,227.6 megahertz or yeah, just- I don't know why they, they want to refer things in megahertz. It's Most people just call it 1.2 gigs, 1.2 gigahertz. But anyway, 244 millimeter wavelength. So getting better. L5 is the lowest frequency and hence largest bandwidth yet. That's 1,176.5 megahertz. That's got a 255 millimeter wavelength. So that's significantly more. That's something like, what is that? 65 millimeters of additional wavelength, which means right. it's going to transmit just that much better in urban environments. But it's not just that. It's also the the it it uses its quadrature data. It's um for over the carrier, and it's uh, it's a CDMA signal. So carrier division multiple access, which mean, which means it uses a combination of code division, usually um, using a series of uh, so you got Walsh codes and a whole bunch of other different codes. That what they do is they'll actually encode it such that each of those signals is unique. You do cross-correlation to pull out the signal you're looking for, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Technology has been around for a long time, again, <laughs> developed by the military uh, and refined by Qualcomm and patented by Qualcomm in the public space, uh, which they've pretty much owned mm-hmm. anything that has anything to do with that for quite a while and made them very rich, um, mm. which is a shame really because I don't really like Qualcomm as a company, but that's probably just my Nortel rage from 25 years ago still showing through, but never mind. It's fine. Mm. Okay, 
Okay. Uh, but yes, yeah, so this is considered to be modernized GPS. And uh, sometimes in the GPS biz, they call it the third civil signal, L5. Uh, the original satellites will started getting launched in 2010 as a proof, and we are now up. They've been gradually launched over the last decade and a bit. They're now up to 17 satellites as of time of recording, and by 2027, they plan to have 24 in total. Clearly, they're not launching on SpaceX because they would have had them all up by now. Maybe they've got uh, cash flow problems or part supply problems. Who knows? Hmm. But in any case, it is still usable today, although it does not have as good a coverage as it will when there's 24. But they'll have spares in the constellation, so mm-hmm. you know to account for failures. So I imagine it's still it's probably close to its best resolution that you're going to get. The other thing that's interesting, um, the channel bandwidth on that is 12.5 megahertz, so it's a reasonable bandwidth. Um, but it's also, and most importantly, double the power. Mm-hmm. That's transmitted. So L1 and L2 is relatively is relatively it's half the power. So it's, this is essentially double. So that also will help getting into getting through um, uh, built up areas and dense foliage, for example. Mm-hmm. And in terms of testing the accuracy of it, um, well, this afternoon when I was doing the mowing, um, I had my Apple Watch on, listening to uh, some ATP, as I sometimes am known to do. And uh, I was uh, tracking my workout because I knew it would track my GPS position with my Apple Watch Ultra. And you can actually see the individual lines that I mowed um, down to, I guess, nice. the accuracy. You could actually see the paths. And I'll, I'll take a screenshot of it and put that in the show notes. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty impressive, huh? It is. So I actually had... Uh- uh, prototype for for mowing meter that never actually saw the light of day that was doing this with the phone. Nice, and that, that's that's pretty accurate. It's pretty good, eh? So, mm-hmm. all right, so um, successful test, I would say. So yeah, that L five makes a difference. What's, what's what's happening in this one corner of the yard here? There's one very erratic, very long uh, path out all by itself. Uh, that is where I ran out. So if you trace back from the red dot where I stopped it, that's right next to the deck. So if you follow oh, that line okay. back, I was going to... That's when you made your beeline back to the garage. That's, yeah, basically. <laughs> and then I stopped tracking the workout. Okay. So yeah. And you can you can make out the driveway because if you look on the larger zoom in, you can see mm-hmm. essentially the front driveway is the long rectangular blank area where I didn't mow because it's bitumen. Uh, or tarmac, as mm-hmm. you may say. And then the extension off to the right before you go to the shed is the other long rectangular piece. And the light gray section is the front of the house. Okay. There you go. All right. Nice. Hmm, I thought so. All right. So the other thing. Can even see where you were moving at a good clip and where you were kind of dragging along. Yep. I know. The, 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 the dragging parts are usually where I'm turning the mower, right? Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Because it's a push mower, okay? Because none of this ride on stuff. Well, I, interestingly, you, you had a lot more spunk at the start. <laughs> yes, indeed. As you get over closer to the red dotty end of the spectrum, you were slowing down oh, pretty good. Oh, I was. All right. So the next thing is the action button, which is the other big difference because none of the other watches have yes. this extra button. So previously you had the, uh, the power button. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had the digital uh, crown, which you could push in as a button. Now on the other side, you also have the uh, bright orange um, flat uh, oval-shaped button. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, the action button can be configured to do a multiple range of different things. So it's the first really configurable button that we've had in the watch. Yes. So 
the current list as it stands today, and this is purely a software thing, is well, you, obviously you can, well, not obviously, but you can actually disable it because it can be annoying sometimes because I keep bumping it accidentally. Um, but it can also be a light. Um, it can do the alert sound, which is you know, loud, but nowhere near as loud as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, stopwatch, uh, it can set waypoints or backtrack. You can enable dive mode. Uh, you can enable a workout and you can select which workout by pressing it multiple times mm-hmm. uh, and you can assign it a shortcut, which is pretty much any shortcut you like. So you could argue you could make it anything you really wanted, but there's a limit to what the shortcuts can do on the watch. So yes and no. Great. Um, I have mine originally set to light. I then tried workouts, realized that that sucked and went back to light again. Uh, what do you use your action button for? Yeah, that's mine's mine's. The flashlight of all those things, it was the most useful to me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I I, yeah. I agree with that. Very bright. Very, very bright. It's a nice flashlight. Yeah. All right. Now, here's the next thing that's interesting about this watch, uh, the Ultra Watch Ultra mm-hmm. over the others, and that is how much water it can withstand in terms of depth. Because the thing I found interesting is I you've got to dig into the fine print to do the real apples to apples comparison because- all they say in the bold print is it can withstand up to 40 meters, which is 130 feet of depth in water for diving to EN 13319. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a diver, okay? And I didn't right. consider that as necessarily a plus because I intend to become a diver at some point. So I did a little bit of digging, not too much, into that particular standard. So... Um, e, so it's actually a DIN standard, European standard. And that particular standard is specifically for diving accessories, depth gauges, and combined depth and time measuring devices. Mm. So that whole 40 meter of depth thing is specific to diving. And, and of course, the whole, whole point of it is that if you, if you want to install the Oceanic Plus app, mm-hmm. it'll become a fully featured dive computer according to you know, according to their um, marketing blurb, uh, different people that are divers mm-hmm. who have done reviews, in other words, not me, have said that as a dive computer goes, it's probably bare minimum. It's probably good enough. But would they say fully featured? They would not. So there are better dive computers out there than this thing. But then again, you know, yeah, you also have to pay a subscription plan for Oceanic Plus to work. So... Mm-hmm. Not only do you need the watch, but you also need the subscription plan, which is over and above and not part of any of the existing subscriptions. Like it's not part of Apple One or anything else. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I can kind of see why they do it, but it, I don't know. If I was an avid diver, I guess you'd be just like, yeah, it's a no-brainer maybe. But then again, if you're a diver already, would you be ditching your dive computer for this watch? Probably not. Right. But anyway, it's It's interesting. So I was saying, sorry, I'm getting sorry. Well, for somebody that might recreationally dive, you know, like once a year they take a diving vacation or something, I think it'd probably be suitable. But mm. if you're like a quote diver, you probably want a little more. Yeah, truth. Um. Anyway, so I, I, I got a little bit sidetracked there on the whole dive computer thing. I thought that was rather interesting because mm-hmm. if you look at the fine print, the true apples for apples comparison isn't the 40 meter depth because... If you look at the Series 8, the Series 8 says, oh, this is good down to 50 meters. And you're like, hang on a minute. Mm. You're telling me that the Series 8 can do 50 meters and the Ultra can only do 40? And it's like, oh, 
No, it's a different standard. So it's 50 meters to ISO standard 22810 from 2010. Yeah. Now, this particular standard has nothing to do with diving at all. It's actually a watch-specific standard. So it actually is a standard for measuring the water resistance of a watch. So in other words, it's a horology standard. It's not a... Right. It's not, yeah, but it is an international standard, so I guess there's that. It's not just European. It's how long it's going to survive if dropped in the bottom of a pool, right? Yeah, exactly. And so if you dig through the fine print of the Ultra, so the Series 8, good to 50 meters ISO, um, 22810, mm-hmm. the Ultra is good to double that, 100 meters. So, yeah. Nice. So if the far more likely circumstance is that for some reason that is unexplained, I will accidentally drop it in the ocean at a depth of up to 100 meters. Mm-hmm. And then somehow, without diving, I will recover said watch from the bottom and it will be fine. So that is the only use case I can think of <laughs> where that will be an advantage. Okay. So probably never. I'd be interested in seeing how you pull off that recovery. I would have to employ someone to do it for me. I don't know. And I know so much okay. about diving, I can't even tell you the safest depth a human could dive. You'd think I would have researched that, but I don't intend to drop my watch whilst I'm out over the ocean, over that water that deep. Mm. Even though I have been on a cruise, I did not dangle my watch over the side for inexplicable reasons and can't imagine why I would. And frankly... The only way the watch is going to get to the bottom if it's attached to me while I sink to the bottom, which is something I'm also trying to avoid. Yes. Moving on, <laughs> I think. I don't think you're going to wear. I don't. I don't. I don't think this thing's quite good enough to uh, take you down to find Rose's diamond. Uh, to, uh, no, indeed, it isn't. Good Titanic reference. Okay. Moving on. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the Ultra also, unlike the others, has dual speakers. They are forty percent louder than the Series Eight. So they are actually quite loud. Yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty loud. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all the previous models, as far as I can tell, only had a single speaker. Mm-hmm. And I know there was more than one hole, but they were still driven by a single speaker. But here's the real game changer for me in this, in this particular watch. And you may think all oh, this stuff up now is really awesome. And you know, surely that's enough to get it. I have tried making phone calls on my Apple Watches over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was cool. A little bit Dick Tracy, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. super, super cool. And being out and about and making call on your watch uh, when you don't have your phone anywhere near you. I even tried working, you know, if you remember many years ago, I went phoneless. I did an episode about it, in fact. I do recall that. Yeah. And when I was making phone calls, I tried using the speaker that was in the, because it was a Series 3 at the time. It has single microphone. And I tried making calls. Mm-hmm. And even in quiet environments, it was horrifically bad. And so it was essentially, yeah. you know what? It works if you've got it paired to AirPods. You know, that was that was usable. Right. But any other way, it was unusable. Slightest bit of wind. Yeah, they, they can't hear you. You can't hear them. It was just all around bad experience. It was a horrible experience. And so, slightest bit of wind, and like my, well, you know, I, obviously I, I, I speak to my wife a lot when I'm making phone calls. I, you know, hers is my, unsurprisingly, my most commonly called number for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I would call her on the on my watch from time to time. And she, one of her one of her triggers is wind noise. There's something about wind noise for her. It's kind of like mm-hmm. 
fingernails on a on a chalkboard kind of thing and she cannot stand it so she will get to that point where she says if you can't like cut that wind noise out um i am going to hang up on you because i just can't listen to that noise i can't even hear you properly and anyhow all right yeah and so this particular apple watch the apple watch ultra has three microphones and they use you know beam forming techniques but they also specifically have wind noise mitigation mm. so that i have trialed even in well it wasn't i wasn't standing in the middle of a hurricane cyclone or typhoon choose your word for the same thing or a tornado mm-hmm. or a twister or a willy willy which frankly is actually what is referred to in australia um, for those that live out west. But anyway, dust devils. Here in Kentucky, we just say nader's coming. Oh, nader's coming. Nice. We're very good. Nader's coming. Very good, Vic. <laughs> so, an excessive amount of wind was not blowing when I did this test. But I can confirm that even though the wind was blowing and in an older watch it would have had wind noise, there was nothing on the Ultra, according to the listener. Nice. So, um. It is transformative when you are outside and trying to make a call. You can actually hear the other person and they can actually hear you. And when I asked this particular person, admittedly, it was not my wife because I don't think my wife would survive me testing that. I had to test it with someone else first to make sure it was safe before I tried it with good, uh, my wife. Good call. So, yeah. Good call. Yeah, I know, right? It's, uh, yeah, been with someone for 20 years. You get to know these things. When to push and when to not. <laughs> Anyhow, it's fine. Sometimes they are your go-to guinea pig, sometimes not so much. Sometimes your life is worth more than that. So, yes, indeed. Yes. Okay. So, um, the the other person basically said it, it literally sounded like I was talking on my iPhone. It was that good. So, I'm blown away by that particular feature. So, um, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, all of this is to say, I believe that if you look at the Apple Watch from a design perspective. And I said, what's it, what are its goals as a watch? Mm-hmm. Um, the goals that it's had up until the Ultra have been, it's a very consistent form factor. It looks very much the same. Every single version from the Series 0 up to the Series 8, they all are quite obviously, clearly the same design, the same rounded square when you look at it front on, the same flat screen but glass curvature around the edge maybe that curvature varied and how how close and the thick or thin the bezel was has varied but by external appearances it was very difficult to tell the difference between them from any reasonable distance and it's i mean it was a, it was a design language so the ultra's design language is fundamentally different because it's mm-hmm. it is it holds some of that shape but it's got a crown guard and it also has a raised titanium edge around the screen. So the screen's actually encased in that edge, that raised edge of titanium to protect the screen. Mm-hmm. And it gives it a much more prominent look. It is very chunky, as my kids like to say. And it is quite clearly not a traditional Apple Watch. Not even mm-hmm. not even close. You would look at this and you would think it was done by a different manufacturer if you didn't know it was an Apple Watch you would say that looks yeah. like a Samsung or a whatever else, right? I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> well, maybe not a Samsung, but you know what I mean? It, it's definitely not an Apple Watch, right? But when you look at this thing, um, mm-hmm. I, I believe that this is the first in, an, in a fork uh, for the Apple Watch, mm-hmm. uh, which I hope is a design that they're going to continue with because I, I think it's great. 
I think it is really is. Yeah, I agree. And so the other thing that they've done with the Ultra is they've, they've given it all of these additional features that make it far more useful out in the real world. And you don't have to be hiking to use a lot of them. You know, it's like they, they picture the Ultra with people doing like moderate sports all the way up to extreme sports. Like, oh, yeah, when you're on a two day long hike. And I'm like, you know, I can make phone calls just out in the backyard mm-hmm. that are now possible on this watch that were previously not possible. I'm not going to go on a two day hike. I'm not I'm not that fit for one thing and I'm not that crazy for another thing. Mm-hmm. Well, my hat's off to people that do though, do really multi-day hiking. That's that's uh, commitment, uh, respect, but I'm not doing that. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, point is you don't have to be doing those extreme sports to get use out of all of those sorts of features. I don't have to be a diver to not to be feel a sense of comfort in knowing that if my watch does fall to the bottom of a, a very deep pool, um, or the ocean down to not a, too bad of a depth. It could be there for a week and I could still recover it and it'd be fine. Right. Like that kind of waterproofness gives you that waterproofness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Water resistance mm-hmm. uh, and water and, and water protection at depth gives you that confidence, you know? So- Yes. Um, and all in all, um, I see it as being the most transformative Apple Watch since the Series Zero was released. I think it's more transformative than any other version that's ever been released. I would agree, and I'll actually double down on it and say that, I like, to me, the when I, when I look at this watch, I look at it and I think, you know, the Apple Watch has finally arrived. Yeah, I think, I think the problem with the original Apple Watch, and I mean, okay, when I I know that Tim Cook has said publicly that the Apple Watch was a product that they weren't entirely sure where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. But when they saw how much people were using it more for fitness than for, for sharing heartbeats and stuff like that, they're like, let's do some more f- like fitness related stuff and see where this goes. Mm-hmm. And then when they saw how much so many people were using it for health and fitness tracking, they're like, right, this is what this is. Yeah. But then again, you look at the gold Apple Watch. You know, you look at the ceramic Apple Watch and then you look at mm-hmm. um, the Hermes watch, which I think its days mm-hmm. are numbered, by the way, in my opinion, because of because of this line of thinking. Yeah. It's like the idea of having a luxury version of the watch and even the stainless steel version, which I've loved so much to date, and I still love. I think it's a beautiful design. But the truth is that that's not what people are using these watches for. Right. Well, I think they just... They're having a hard time letting go of the idea that they can make it, it, you know, the health tracking device that it is. And they still really, really want it to be fashionably respected in in the real watch world. And I think that they're hopefully slowly but surely learning that that's just they're not going to really it. It's not a competitor in that space. The people that are interested in that space are interested in the watches that inhabit that space. They're not interested in the Apple Watch. Yeah. It's it's a very, very nice, very practical utility item, but it is not a luxury fashion item. No. And I, I guess my, my problem when I was debating if I hung on to my Series 6, which, by the way, I still mm-hmm. have um, uh, for the moment, I, it is I am... I am looking to sell it. Multi watch lifestyle for the win. Oh, uh, no, nah, I just I don't I don't think so. Um, 
I'm, I'm struggling with like if I can't get a decent amount of money for it, do I just hang on to it and make it a hand-me-down for my kids? Because I did that with the Series 3 and that's been very helpful. Yeah. So I am thinking about if I can't sell it, I'll probably will just hand me down. But I don't think I can justify going to a two-watch lifestyle. I did actually try it for a week and I found myself just not using it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because it's like I can quickly charge the Ultra and wear it overnight for sleep tracking. And it's actually... Mine is, is, is my Series 5 is worn for like the hour or whatever it takes, you know, to charge the Ultra. And that's about it. Mm. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean... I will admit, wearing the Ultra for sleep tracking, um, I have actually clocked myself in the side of my face with it, and it did wake me up because it was, yeah, it was quite a sharp edge on it relative to what I was used to. Ouch. Um, <laughs> just the once. But I've only used it for sleep tracking like four or five times in the last month that I've had it. So I actually, okay, so I got mine uh, in mid-December, quite literally the 16th of December. So I've only had it just over a month of time of recording. Yeah. Um, and when I bought it, I got the medium to large size um, black gray trail loop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew it was the one I wanted. It was, of course, not initially available for a few months when, when it first came out. But this watch band, I, I honestly don't know what they've done with the materials. But this thing feels so comfortable. It is a soft. Mm. It's got a nice sort of very gentle, faint furriness to the outside and the inside of it. It just feels super comfortable on my on my skin mm-hmm. um i suspect it'll suffer the same problem as my um velcro don't call it velcro um sport loop mm-hmm. bands um i think they call it hook and loop <sighs> hook and loop yeah great hook and loop don't call it velcro anyway um insofar as i think it's going to absorb my 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 uh my sweaty sweat smell and eventually mm-hmm. will become less than palatable shall we say to wear and you'll mm-hmm. you smell me coming probably. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to try, oh. try. Yeah, but I've, I've gotten better at, at washing that one out. And then eventually the, the band eventually did wear out at the loop point with the um, with the lug. So I ended up throwing that one out. It lasted me about two and a half years, though. I wore it every, almost every day. It was my favorite watch band. This is now my favorite watch band. Um. Anyway, but I also decided to invest in the um midnight ocean band which you know that's the one i have i know and you remember how i sort of may have been not so complimentary about that particular band i, I think on? on bubble sword i used the word i have that uh band that you're trash talking yes i think that is how you <laughs> phrased it um but the thing that's interesting is that i actually went and i tried it on and i sort of mm-hmm. stood in the store just just wearing it and running my fingers over it and i realized that the holes in it that we that they are put in there clearly so that they can put the retaining clip in and you can adjust where the retaining clip goes, um, mm-hmm. that they actually make it much softer than you would think. Yes. And so wearing this is yes. actually still quite comfortable. And because it is adjustable- I, th- I think I made that you point. Did. And because it is adjustable, <laughs> um, I decided, look, I've got an Apple Watch Ultra. I want to get another Ultra Band. Mm-hmm. And so I got that band and that's a waterproof band. I can take that in the swimming pool. And when I was out doing the mowing, for example, I would wear that band. So I'm not absorbing sweat into this one so much. Right. Yeah. And honestly, the only other one, which is, of course, the um, Alpine Loop band, I tried it on in store and I just, I don't know how to describe it. I, I didn't like it. It felt so imprecise and sloppy and 
It was either too tight or too loose. I think it looks pretty. I think it looks pretty, but man, that thing just looks like it's going to get really cruddy looking very quick. Well, when I was in the store, Mm -hmm. um, my son was with me, my oldest son was with me, and he's looking at me trying on this Alpine loop. This is only a couple of weeks ago, actually. It's in early January, and I was debating if I get it or not. And he's like, Mm -hmm. "Um, are you seriously going to get that band? And he told me from his, his opinion, all the things that were wrong with it, like it's not a very precise fit. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks it looks almost like a bit like a NATO band, sort of, but not in a good way. And um, he kind of talked me out of it, and I'm glad he did because I I think in the end I just really didn't like it. I was trying to justify liking it, and I'm like, oh, then I'll have all three, you know, ultra watch bands, and it's like, yeah, but I'm never going to wear it, so why would I buy it? So I just no, that was it. I spent my money on something else, right? So um. I've wanted to work now um, for the first three weeks of the year, mm-hmm. uh, and I've I've rocked it most days with my my good old forty two millimeter stainless steel link bracelet, which I have now had for nearly seven years, six years, six years, six years. Nice. Um, and that link bracelet is still going strong. I got in there and I pulled apart every single one of the because they're all easy to remove, mm-hmm. uh, all the little segments, and I and I've cleaned them all out with a fine brush and everything and. You know, made them all nice and polished up, and it looks, I wouldn't say good as new, but it still looks wow. great. And the two tone, every single segment, every single segment that that comes apart, anyway. Okay. Um, but uh, the one thing that's interesting about it is that you can tell the difference between the titanium, which is obviously a brushed natural titanium, and the stainless steel. Mm-hmm. But because the stainless steel has been, you know, like scratched and bar and um and marked up a bit. It's not as shiny as it was when I first got it. Mm-hmm. And so that actually works a bit. It's less obvious. So unless you're really looking. Yeah. Well, you sent, you sent Clay and I a picture of it, and I thought it looked pretty good together. It does. It does. It looks pretty good. And that's what I've done. But I tell you what, it is. What, you put the stainless steel link bracelet on plus the Ultra. Mm-hmm. This thing is, it's hefty. You can feel it. Like when you're walking. You could, I would imagine you need to burn yeah. more calories on the left arm than the right because you're you're moving the watch and the band with it. <laughs> it's like you're working out with those little half kilo weight things, man. Anyway, the Apple Watch curl, the Apple Watch curls. <laughs> you got it exactly. That's why I'm, I'm that's why I'm more ripped on my left hand side. See, anyhow. Oh my! Right, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, okay. You believe that? You'll believe anything. It's probably a disturbing picture for listeners. My apologies. I didn't mean that like that. Mm. Anyhow. But the thing is, it's not really a going out watch insofar as it's not like a dress watch. Like the old one, you could put on a nice watch face and a nice band. I don't know. I think it looks pretty nice. Well, I think it's a little bit too, too, too big and sporty to really pass as a dress watch. Mm. Um, But having said that, you know, I'm like, I'm just an engineer that works in an office building. I'm not wearing a suit. I'm not wearing, you know, like a collar and tie. Yeah. So does it need to be? And I guess the answer is how many? How often do I actually go up dressed to the nines, so to speak, um, and have to wear a dress watch? And so I don't even have a dress watch that works anymore. Like I have one, but the battery's long dead. Mm-hmm. And I have been lusting after a, a Longines, um, you know, Grandmaster collection watch, but that's uh, that's a three and a half thousand dollar proposition, and I've got. 10,000 other things that are more useful that I need before that. So it's going to be a while. So, you know what I mean? It's like, what do I need a dress watch for? And so, you know, I re- I've just come to 
get used to this thing quite quickly and its advantages far outweigh the fact that it doesn't look like it's it's probably two or three percent less less dressy mm-hmm. and that's it that's the only downside of this thing everything else is a plus side so um yeah tell me about yours did you just apply a number percentage to its dressiness <laughs> i totally did and i have no numeric hey all right look it's midnight my time i love it's, you man it is midnight my time thank you very much all right so yeah i did apply a percentage that i pulled completely out of my butt to describe this okay dressiness of something sure i, I was just wondering what the scale the was scale there. is from one to i don't know it's a random number okay. <laughs> I don't know. all right so tell me a bit about yours and, and your wearing experience. So you've you've just got the the Midnight Ocean band, same as me. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just just the one that it came with in in my true fashion. I don't. Scott says I'm boring. Uh, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't mind to have a few different bands, but honestly, I would see the the changing and fiddling with swapping them out and stuff would more of a, a nuisance than anything. I think uh, I like the Midnight Ocean Band. I've been a fan of it since I got it. It's the nicest fluorolastomer band that I've ever had. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty happy and content with it. I think it looks nice on the watch, so I'm just rocking that. I may get. There was a couple of bands that I looked at and considered getting. We talked about them on Bubble Sword. I may get one one day, but for now, I think I'm just content with this the way it is. I got mine back in uh, September when it was still pretty new. Not brand spanking new, but still pretty new. Yeah. I'm more or less, just, I didn't want to order it and have to wait for it. So I just kind of watched the Apple Store, the local Apple Store, like a hawk through the uh, the Apple Store app just to see when they might have it in stock and I could, you know, buy it for a curbside pickup or whatever. And that's what I ended up doing. But I just, I really love having this watch. I It's the nicest watch I've had, you know, ever. Because, like, I'm not a, a nice watch watch person. But it's definitely the nicest Apple watch and just the nicest watch in general that I've ever had. I really enjoy it. Need to log a few more workouts for Clay than I have been. But <laughs> it just, I really enjoy it. I like the nice large screen size, which is really helpful since I don't wear my reading glasses quite as often as I should. And honestly, I think it's time that those graduate from reading glasses to just regular bifocals or something anyway. So the extra display resolution is a little bit nice. It scales things up bigger, easier to see. I've actually gone pretty grown pretty fond of the flashlight on the button mm-hmm. on the side yeah. although a couple of times you got you got to be careful cuz it's i think that this particular watch it's easier to accidentally call 911 than yeah. on previous models that is true <laughs> yeah. and that has happened to me twice i'm ashamed to admit <laughs> oh right and i just hang it I just hang it up real quick as soon as it starts and, and hope that I haven't caused a problem or that somebody that actually needed to make a real call didn't get through in that few seconds. I don't know. I feel really bad about it. But it's just, I don't know, something about it's easier. And I think it's because the chunkiness and, like, when you go to push that action button, your natural instinct is to brace the other side with your other finger, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it happens. But I like the bigger crown. I like the uh, I, I like the crown guard on it. I I like I'm actually a big fan of the titanium ring around the screen in large part just because I think that like you know it's finally something fresh and different for the Apple Watch 
they, they've, you know, made some subtle differences that you highlighted throughout its iterative life cycle. But I think it's just nice to finally have something new. And I've gotten pretty used to the size and the weight. I'm not wearing a stainless steel band or anything. So it's pretty manageable for me. I wouldn't say I'm doing the Apple Watch curl or anything. But. Hmm. Uh, and do you realize... I'm just really pleased with it. Do you it. realize you just previously in the last minute called it chonky? So there you go. A word's catching on already. It's in your brain now. Uh, there you go. Yeah, we're, we're we're starting a trend. We are kind of chonky, damn straight. So what? But I just I really like it. Yeah, I I, I love this thing. Uh, having said that, um, you know I can understand why people will not get it. If you want to truly, yeah, it does. It makes it makes me sad that it's the most expensive model because yeah, I, I think a lot of people would really enjoy you know the benefits that come from the ultra and i will say this if you're already looking at stainless anyway definitely consider stepping up to the ultra because you're not looking at a big price gap there mm, no definitely not yeah um the there is there are, there is one downside with my my band collection that i found since having the ultra though and the the problem oh, the problem is that what's that any of the solo loops that have stretched a bit with time um they really aren't standing up to the extra weight. It's like they flop around on my wrist too much. And particularly bad is my uh, woven nylon uh, solo loop. So mm. originally I had a size six band. It was nice and yeah. you know, tight and it was pretty good. Um, I wore it for nearly a year and a half thereabouts and it gradually stretched to probably close to a 6.5 or maybe even a seven. And it was- yeah. It was getting a little bit loose-ish on my wrist um, on with the Series 6 on it. But when I put up the, um, the extra weight, the extra 14 grams or whatever it is of the Ultra, and it just flopped around everywhere, it was unwearable. Yeah, you really do. You, you want to keep this watch kind of snug because it will walk all over your wrist if you don't. Yeah, the other one, the, uh, the Fluoro Elastoma, um, the white size 6 solo loop, which hasn't stretched, um, I don't wear it. Mm -hmm. Didn't wear it anywhere near as much. Um, <clears throat> it actually has the opposite problem um, because the lug positioning is such that it just feels that little bit tighter, and so it was already tight. And now it's just that little bit tighter, mm -hmm. and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get the uh, the Ocean Band is because uh, it can be it is adjustable. So with the Ultra, I've sort of turned my back on the solo loops. I feel like they, yeah, one is now a little bit too loose and then the other one is simply just a little bit too tight. So that was an, that was an interesting find. But look, you know, hey, it's fine. Um, I do have a, uh, my stainless steel link brace that I can add and remove links. It fits perfectly. Uh, and even if it mm -hmm. gets a little bit loose, if, um, if, I, if I lose weight or, you know, hopefully not gain weight, but I can always add or remove links from that and I have still got spares so I can do that easily. Uh, which is another reason I love that band. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also have the adjustable, uh, I've got a black nylon uh, band, one of the older bands you can't buy anymore. Uh, and obviously that's adjustable. That works fine. It's a standard buckle. So, you know, all the other bands are fine. But yeah, the solo loop experiment, I think, is more or less over. But um, yeah. that's okay. All right. Did you have anything else that you want to add about the watch and, and so on before we wrap this up? Uh, 
I think the only other thing I would add is like like what I said, you know, about being sad that it was the most expensive model because I think a lot of people would enjoy it. I really look forward to some of the benefits of this watch trickling down mm. in future models of Apple Watches. Yeah. That battery life is such a game changer. It is so nice. And I don't know that they'll ever be able to achieve the battery life of, that they have on this one in the smaller sized watches, but I would think that they could port some of it into the, the larger sized one. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I think possibly that that might be something that they do. I feel like... And I think that I think that the other models could benefit from an action button too. Yeah, that's what I was going like, to say. Actually, I don't. I don't know if that's going to stay forever a permanent, you know, ultra only feature. But I think all of the watches in general could probably benefit from an action button, and that seems pretty reasonably doable in the other forms. Yeah, that's true. I, I the other the, what I was going to say about this this watch is that I feel like the Apple Watch Ultra is the Apple Watch that Apple decided. That it is the Apple, it is the embodiment of what they finally realized the Apple Watch really was being used for, which is for yeah. fitness tracking and for you know sports and activities. It's like mm-hmm. like that. Prior to that, there was confusion as to whether or not that's what it would be used for, and they went down the yeah. path of you know small, lightweight, aluminium. This is what you need, but it's like, mm-hmm. but no, it's not because your watches get beaten up and you don't want that. Yeah, there's there's definitely a trade-off there. Like one of the reasons that I actually ended up with the Ultra is because, you know, all of my watches prior to this one, they were always the aluminum sport watch. And honestly, I never really dinged up the aluminum too badly, but man, my my the 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 crystal, the glass, yeah. it, it always took a beating and I'm tired of the micro fine scratches and stuff. So I I was already kind of leaning towards stainless steel anyway just because I wanted to get the the sapphire display that would hopefully be more more scratch resistant. And then once they announce the Ultra and you look at the price point and the, the fact that, you know, it's like, depending on what watch you're looking at, you know, it's only like 50 bucks more. Mm. And you add in all the rest of the, the battery life and the larger display size and the titanium. And the, to me, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Oh, it, it, I agree. It is absolutely a no-brainer. So this is also my justification to myself as to why I got one. But, I mean, in the end, I do believe that, Mm-hmm. This is the watch that Apple have been wanting to make once they figured out what the biggest market for their watch is. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, a lot of people seem to agree because I'm seeing more and more of these out in the wild. And I know from st- stuff that Marco has said um, in different forums uh, that a large percentage of his listeners that have Apple Watches have Apple Watch Ultras. Yeah. So I think that it's probably will come as no surprise to people that have been using the watch for a while that have even the slightest interest in doing more than just checking the time on it. Yeah. Uh, I think the Ultra is the way of the future. And I think that we'll see a, a more focus on that. And there'll, there'll be more Ultra options in the future as well. It won't just be the one model. That'd be nice. All righty. Well, if you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on the Fediverse at Chigi at engineer.space or the network at engnet at engineer.space. If you're enjoying Pragmatic and you'd like to support us and keep the shows ad-free, you can by becoming a premium supporter. Just visit engineer.network slash pragmatic to learn how you can help this show to continue to be made. Thank you. A big thank you to all of our supporters. A special thank you to our silver producers, 
Mitch Bilger, Kevin Kosh, Shane O'Neill, Leslie, Kellen Frodelius Fujimoto, Jared Roman, Joel Marr, Katarina Will, Dave Jones, and Mark Oates. And a extra special thank you to our gold producer, Stephen Bridal, and our gold producer known only as R. Pragmatic is a podcasting 2.0 enhanced show, and with the right podcast player, you'll have episode locations, enhanced chapters, and real-time subtitles on select episodes that you can also stream Satoshis and Boost with a message if you like. There's details on how, along with the Boostergram leaderboard, on our website. Don't forget we're celebrating the upcoming 50th episode of Causality, and we're reopening the 10 store with shirts and smartphone cases for a limited time, including an all-new Pragmatic t-shirt too. All supporters get 10% off Cotton Bureau items from the store, and there's a very special offer for long-term supporters that want a free t-shirt. Visit engineer.network slash celebrate for details, and keep an eye on Patreon posts for more. If you'd like to get in touch with Vic, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? Uh, that would probably be... I don't know. I hesitate to plug the Twitters anymore. <laughs> You'll notice that there are no Twitters in the outro of this show anymore. Yeah. Uh, just just look for me on the uh, Fediverse at... Uh, I've got a uh, Vic Hudson one at Fediverse.cu, but I think I'm actually in the process of transitioning to uh, Vic Hudson one at... Uh, App dot dot net. <laughs> the naming of the app app of the app dot dot. The naming net of that was questionable, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, because they wrote out. I guess they probably couldn't get the real no, app dot net. Yep. That ship sailed. <laughs> you know, so they they. It's it's. I like I uh, I like to entertain myself by saying app dot dot net. But that is actually <laughs> the way it is. It's just as one dot is the word dot, and the other dot is an actual mm-hmm. dot. So maybe yes. maybe we should uh, instead of saying .net, we should say stop net. Hmm. You know, as in like full stop, like they used to do in Telegram days. So you know, yeah, but that, that's app not dot as fun stop as saying net. app dot dot net. Well, app dot stop net. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, excellent. Well, you know what? App dot dot net. Oh, my god. <laughs> All right. App dot dot da 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 da. A special thank you. Oh, now you're in Morse code. Oh, da da da. <laughs> A special thank you to all of our supporters. A big thank you to everyone for listening. And as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank- ah, it's always a pleasure having you back on the show. Thanks for coming on, Vic. Uh, thank you for having me, John. It's always a pleasure. And it is uh, quarter past midnight my time. There you go.